everybody embraces technology until they don't. That's a, actually a really profound thing you just said. It's, it's like everybody makes fun of lawyers until you need one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host for today's shindig, and we will be digging some shins today, no doubt about it. Hey, it's a big day. It's, uh, what is it, end of March? No, March. What is wrong? Oh, I would like to say that's a Freudian slip, but I'm not sure where that came from. I think that's jet lag, actually, because I just came back from spending two weeks with Shane and Peggy Bush in Singapore and Thailand. And doing some human performance training. And I'm uh, suffering the jet lag as I do this podcast. And so that's what it's about. Today's podcast is interesting because there's an opportunity that's available to you that I didn't know was available actually until this morning uh, when I got a call and uh, was told that the numbers were really low for this meeting and they needed uh, people. And then I said, well, is it open to the public? Because it doesn't sound like it is. And they said, yeah, it's actually open. So I said we should do a podcast. So that's what's going to – I'm going to talk to Dr. Alan Frankfurt, our friend, Dr. Alan Frankfurt, who's been on the pod before. And uh, he's um, he's very thoughtful and works a lot. He's an anesthesiologist who works a lot with high reliability in ho- healthcare and hospitals. And he thinks a lot about it in operational uh, settings. And that's really interesting. So I could tell you about that. Well, in fact, I'm going to tell you about that. That's going to happen for sure. I could tell you stories of Thailand and Singapore, and maybe I should. So let me let me let me tell you one. Okay, there's many, um, many involving Shane Bush and massage parlors. I mean, we can talk about this, but I don't you hide the kids. Now, the one I want to tell you is um, we I <laughs> we went to a Michelin star restaurant, and the most amazing dish. It was a it was a chicken like a I don't even know like a rotisserie like not even rotisserie um and it wasn't baked that sounds boring it was a a roasted chicken served with mushrooms and rice and this bean that looked like a lentil but I wasn't sure what it was and it's a Michelin star restaurant I mean it's it's a fancy pants like if you were in Denmark that would cost you you know three hundred euro. In Paris, it would cost you 400 euro. In L.A., San Francisco, it's you know it's that's the that's the height of what restaurants get to. Only thing is, is this is a place in Singapore that's a hawker stall, and so basically, what they do in Singapore is they moved most of the food off the street. So people in Southeast Asia eat uh, on the street. Street food is really good. It's super plentiful and it's very affordable, and that, that's kind of a good thing. The problem is if you care about public health issues, it's really rather difficult to manage a kitchen that is a cart on a curb next to a road with no running water, no hot water. And so what Singapore did, and this makes sense if you know Singapore, is they put all their their street food in these little hawker stalls. And, and they basically built this kind of awning to protect you from the hot sun. And in the middle of the awning, they put lots and lots of tables and chairs. And then around the edges of that awning, they have these rather permanent street food stalls. And they're all really good. You can get Singapore noodles. You can get uh, – Singapore is a really interesting combination of Chinese food, 
Malaysian food, Indian food, Indonesian food, Thai food, and all of that kind of comes together to be, be Singaporean food. And they have a Michelin star food hawker, a food stall. And so we went there. We actually went to two of them, if I'm going to be honest with you. It was remarkable. Uh, and so I haven't been to a lot of Michelin star restaurants because I'm pretty cheap and I can't imagine spending that much money at a restaurant. But I've been to a couple. Um, but I have to tell you, this restaurant was amazing. And the dish, their famous, famous dish, which people were lining up out the street and around the block for, is this chicken dish. And if you bought this chicken dish at a Michelin star restaurant, the most it will cost you is $3.40. And you want me to repeat that? $3.40. So I was in pretty tall cotton. So I bought everyone's dinner because now I can actually lord that over them and say that I actually treated a whole bunch of people to a Michelin star restaurant. They also had this crispy pork dish that was uh, amazing. So it was, it was, it was a really wonderful place to eat and it was fun. And I think you go there. The food's very good. The line could get tedious. I could see where that'd be a problem. We kind of lucked out and the line wasn't too long, but the food's amazing. And I, the reason you go there is entirely for bragging rights. The story I just told you right now, is the very reason I went to that restaurant. And I'll tell it hundreds. My friends will be, their, their eyes will roll, and they'll tell me to shut up. That's how many times I'll tell this story. But it was completely worth it, you guys. And if you get to Singapore, it's really easy to find these places. And they're not really, hmm, I wouldn't say they're touristy. In fact, I will tell you the lines we stood in were not filled with people like us. It was They were filled with people who, who lived there. And so it's, it's quite a deal. And the food was incredible. It was really good. But it made me think of a story I wanted to tell you guys on the podcast. So, so you know I live in Santa Fe. I talk about that a bunch. It's a great place to live. If you haven't been here, consider this an invitation. Come and see us. If you have been here, you know it's a really interesting. It's an old city. It's been around a really long time. It's, it's almost tied with St. Augustine, Florida. It's it being the oldest city in the United States. It's the second oldest city, but we have the oldest house and the oldest church and the oldest continually occupied, uh, continuously occupied government building. And then we have lots of art galleries and lots of great restaurants. It's, it's a fun place. Shopping. There's tons of shopping. Um, I find that part boring. But other, and then amazing museums. There's a lot to do here. And for a long time, there was uh, there was a five and dime store, a Woolworth store, on the main plaza of Santa Fe, which is kind of the tourist area. There's a couple tourist areas, but that, that one's really big. And they were really famous for uh, having a, a lunch counter where you could get Frito pie. Now, if you don't know what Frito pie is, and a lot of you will because if you're from Texas, you totally know what this is. But they take Fritos, you know, Fritos, the, the corn chips, and they rip the bag open um, and they pour chili on top of those corn chips. And then they put cheese, lettuce, tomato and onions and they give you a fork. And sometimes they actually serve it in the bag on a plate and a dish. I mean, it's, it's, and it's, it's quite good. It's a, it's a, it's a red chili. Um, in Texas, it would have meat and beans in it. In New Mexico, it would just be kind of this highly flavorful, some might say spicy red chili. But the interaction between the chili and the Fritos and the onions and the lettuce and it's um, the cheese, it's it's quite tasty. And so this 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 Woolworths, this five and dime, was really really popular, and it was famous for this uh, their own little hawker stall, this this Frito pie they would sell. And in front of it, 
on the side near the front door was a payphone. Now, for those of you who don't know what a payphone is, um, which horrifies me, but you might not because I, I don't even see payphones. I, I don't even see them in airports anymore because you don't really need payphones because everybody now pretty much has their very own fancy McPancy cell phone that they can actually make the calls on. But so there was a payphone out front. And what it was was a public telephone that you put coins in and it would make a little tone and then you could call, right? That's what a payphone is. Look it up. Google payphone if you don't know what it is. But it was very interesting. One day I was down there probably getting a Frito pie with friends. And I looked at the payphone and I said, this is very interesting. Here's the number for this payphone. And it was right there, just bigger than Dallas on the phone. And I had a little scrap of paper and a pen with me. And so I wrote the number down and took it up to my office in Los Alamos and wrote it on my desk blotter. And one summer, every afternoon at about 2.30, I would call that, that payphone to see if anybody would answer. And I must tell you, I met more interesting people calling that 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 payphone and 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 people would answer and and they would answer and i'd say um who's this and more often than not they would give me a name and then i'd ask them if they're having fun and what they were doing and then i would have them look over their shoulder and i would say do you see a window on the second floor of the building across the street that's where i am i mean i wasn't really there and oftentimes it was it was it was a joke, right? It, it ended up being a really interesting way to meet people, and I did it for one whole summer, and it was one of the more interesting micro experiments I could do on intervening on a normal afternoon for people who are having fun, and it really kind of made sense, and that was an important part of the hawker stall story. But I don't know why I told that, but that story just popped into my mind and it seemed kind of important to tell. Okay, so let's go on to the podcast because I've, I've got to bring that, if you stayed this far, I'm really proud of you. I talked to Alan Frankfurt about this meeting and he's going to talk about the meeting that's going to be held, um, I think it's the 1st of November. So you got a little time to think about it if you want to go. And it's at the Gaylord Hotel in Dallas-Fort Worth. So it's pretty easy to get to. If you fly American, you about can't not go there. If you fly Southwest, you're guaranteed to hit Love Field. Let's listen as Alan talks to us about this alert conference. Um, and alert has two R's in it, alert conference, and what they're going to do, who's going to be there, and um, how you're invited to it. So with no further ado, that's French. Here is Alan Frankfurt and myself having a chat about this big meeting. It's been a while since you've been on. When were you on the podcast? When was that? That was probably I, three years ago. Oh, it was maybe longer than that. Um, Holy cow. I think it was really one of the first, very, very first ones. And yeah. uh, I was uh, appropriately em embarrassed and um, have been humbled by the podcast that you've put on since because they've just been um, amazing. It's it, it just – it's, it's great stuff. I think if you, you care about people and you care about the people that work with you and for you, um, they're just kind of almost, you know, with all due respect, I know you spent a lot of your life studying this stuff. A lot of it just seems to be common sense. Um, oh, shucks. You're so nice. Thank you. No, really. Really. It's, it's the one thing I don't have very much of is common sense. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, 
you're you're one of those what I call uh, one of the guys on my hand, which is when you have to hold up your hand and count, you know, the five guys who kind of changed how you see the world. Um, you're one of those dudes, man. What can I say? I know. Don't let it go to your head. No, my head's already big enough. So, okay. so you're having this meeting. Tell me about this meeting you're having, because I think the opportunity for people to attend, which I didn't know was even possible until today, is actually super interesting. So to, what's this meeting all about? What started it and what's it going to cover and who's it for? So <clears throat> this is the 2018 alert, and that's spelled A-L-E-R-R-T. I think it's the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training. And these are individuals who um, – are housed down um, in San Marcos, Texas. They're affiliated with the university down there, do a lot of uh, law enforcement uh, first responder training to an incident like uh, the shooting of Las Vegas, Columbine, Santa Fe, Texas, and so forth. And not only do, do, the, do they do the training, but they also um, will make a point to go out and gather information from those shootings and then through discussion and the, the, the data, the information from the scene, see if training of the first responders needs to be altered so we can do a better job at it. And it started out as a law enforcement uh, meeting primarily, which grew to fire rescue, which grew to EMS. So it basically encompasses the pre-hospital component. And this year at the 2018 conference, they wanted to add a medical component because the stop the killing, stop the dying doesn't cease to occur when they drop a patient off in the emergency room. That patient then goes through another medical system, the brick and mortar hospital, and so we really had the pre-hospital component getting into the same room with the hospital component and talking about how we each see the world and how we need different capabilities from each other to take care of a patient in a more medical conference to the two. 18 meeting, which is going to be at the Gaylord Hotel in outside of Dallas. And uh, so we're breaking some new ground there. It sounds it sounds interesting because it sounds like it's uh, an opportunity to build capacity. I mean, it, you know, just just by getting together, you increase capacity almost immediately. But is this connection is this connection between the grab and go and the brick and mortar new or is, has this been done before? Is this a, a novel idea or? To my knowledge, Todd, this will be the first major meeting where the two components have been housed in the same facility. And the ability of the pre-hospital folks and the medical attendees to move back and forth between each other's two parallel meetings seamlessly. So if there's something, if a physician or a nurse or a PA or a see something interesting that he wants to learn more about on the pre-hospital side, he can move over and attend that particular lecture. And by the same token, if there's a law enforcement officer who wants to understand a little bit more about trauma and resuscitation and high reliability, you'll be one of the speakers in that workshop. Then they can move seamlessly between the two parallel tracks 
So it'll be a chance to get everybody in the same room, especially during the general assembly. Uh, and it sounds like a, it sounds like a really interesting meeting where, where there'll be lots of, uh, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interesting stories, but lots of discussions around how organizations, big, complex organizations move towards higher reliability, which I think is pretty fitting for about anybody who uh, is interested in that journey. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's when these mass casualty events occur, and it doesn't have to be a shooting. It could be the grain silo goes up or a tornado in Oklahoma. Uh, you have people who, over a short period of time, the capacity, as you said, of that institution, uh, that medical facility, the capacity will be tested. And um, I think the systems that you put in place and the environment that you have created before the balloon goes up, so to speak, I think will have a lot to do with how ultimately those patients that you take care of do. Because it's not just, as you said, the medical practice, but how those individual medical providers interface with one another. It's, it's interesting to me that, well, you know, there's been so many mass casualty events that, you know, all these horrific shootings from Vegas to, you know, to the to the recent one in, in Jacksonville, Florida, and, and the way too many in between those two. Um, it's interesting to me that you look at that emergent response and you're thinking about the need to actually move that to high reliability. I think that's that's kind of remarkable. I mean, the wildland fire guys have been doing that for a while. Um, but I think that whole medical side of it is, that's pretty interesting. Who's going to, who's going to, I'm mean, like, who's going to be at the meeting? So the medical meeting is going to be really over two days, right? Uh, it's going to be, um, the, the Friday and the Saturday, uh, of the meeting, the last two days of the meeting. Um, I'm almost positive that's going to be November 2nd and November 3rd. On November 2nd, which is a Friday, we'll really have some really national and internationally known medical folks who have not only given rise to and created current day concepts and how to deal with casualties, uh, trauma and mass casualty events. Many who have spent a career in the military have written about their experiences and continue to lecture, not just in the U.S., but really all over the world on how best to not just take care of these patients, but the systems we ought to have in place. For example, if I'm an anesthesiologist, I need to reach out to my blood banker and develop a relationship with that person because I can't give the blood unless I get the blood. And the everyday relationships I have with the trauma surgeon, but maybe not as good a relationship with the ER physician. So that will be covered. The second day, uh, the famous Dr. Todd Conklin will be hosting a morning workshop on high reliability. But right before you talk, Ted, I'm sorry, a Todd. Um, a Todd talk. No, Ted, a Todd <laughs> Ted talk. You go. You need to. You need to start having a Todd X talk. Yeah, exactly. But I have two really interesting speakers who are going to talk for about 20 minutes each before you jump in with your workshop. The first is uh, a personal friend of mine, Gary Weinstein. Um, who had the fortunate and or unfortunate um, 
honor of being the one and only person to have ever taken care of an Ebola patient um, here in the United States. And he was sitting at his desk. I can't exactly repeat the verbiage since we will be on air, but That's right. um, he was sitting at his desk, uh, minding his own business. He is quite the practical joker. Uh, one of the ER docs called and said, hey, Gary, we think we have an Ebola patient in the ER. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, used a couple of terms and phrases I can't use and, and hung up. Said, not, that's not funny and hung up. A few minutes later, the infectious disease guy who has no sense of humor, I shouldn't say that, um, uh, called and said, hey, Gary, I think we have an Ebola patient in the ER. And Gary knew it was for real. So in a very short period of time, he had to transform his 22-bed ICU into a 10-bed Ebola isolation ward. And so there was quite a bit of high reliability going on there um, as they had to embrace complexity, the lack of predictability, uh, chaos um, that you can only imagine was taking place. Um, the second speaker is Rich Dutton, who is of Fame not only being the head of trauma anesthesia at Maryland Shock Trauma, but is now currently the chief quality officer at probably the largest anesthesia group in the country, U.S. Anesthesia Partners. And uh, after the Las Vegas shooting, uh, Rick went down to Las Vegas where the USAP anesthesia providers were actually staffing that hospital that took the vast majority of those casualties. And he went down there to explore, talk, discuss with the anesthesia folks and the surgery folks what not what not only didn't work well but equally if not more important what worked well and why in an attempt to learn um how they functioned and maybe take that information and share it with some of the other institutions that he's responsible for so they're going to give a short little brief on the ebola patient and the las vegas event and then that'll lead into your workshop and um, and then later that day, we've got a couple of interesting speakers, uh, not the least of which is a gentleman who worked with the DARPA TBI project, who's going to be talking about uh, some of their projects on uh, drone delivery of medical products, as well as memory restoration in TBI patients, and maybe how we can use some of that information to improve uh, the care of our Alzheimer's patients. So day one's kind of a traditional kind of blood and guts day, taking care of the sick shock, uh, shocky trauma patient. And then day two is a little bit more, um, a little more maybe, I don't know if nuanced is the right word, but we're going to be covering some topics that aren't kind of the, hey, you'll only be interested if you're a trauma doc. But regardless of who, who you are in the medical community, I think you'll get a lot out of this day, the second day in particular. And people, people can, it's open. They can go to that, right? They can just go to the second day if they want to. That is correct. How, how, how do they do that? It's in the Dallas Fort Worth area in the Gaylord hotel. How do they, how do they contact? Uh, do you have a contact information or how, how would they get a hold of somebody? So if they go to a website, www.org, alertconference.org. So that's www.alert conference, all one big word, dot org. Uh, the homepage will come up 
the place for registration comes up. There's actually a syllabus that will come up, um, and that should get them there. Perfect. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a unique opportunity, not just from the medical side to hear really some world-class people on day one, but as you said, to begin to marry our medical capabilities with the systems that we need to have in place in our brick and mortar hospitals so that we can really take advantage of what we've learned medically by creating a system that's really good at implementing it. Very cool. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it greatly. Well, I'm very excited to have you in Dallas and, um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on the podcast and um, am humbled to do so. Oh, man, you're the best. You can come on anytime you want to. So what do you think? That was Alan Frankfurt, Dr. Alan Frankfurt, if you will, please, talking about the Alert Conference, A-L-E-R-R-T conference.org in Dallas-Fort Worth. November 2nd, 3rd, or 3rd and 4th, some, somewhere in there, Friday and Saturday is when the conference is, because that's when doctor people have conferences. I know it sounds crazy, but that's what they do. Um, and so if you get a chance and you've got some time and you're interested in high reliability um, in complex organizations, and I actually think this one's different. It's high reliability in complex organizations and emergent situations. This might be a meeting for you to think about, and you're more than welcome. It'd be fun to see you there if you can um, that's pretty much the podcast. <clears throat> I got to tell my payphone story and I got to talk about Shane and Peggy in, uh, Southeast Asia. What more else could I do? Have a great summer. What's left of it. Have fun. Keep out of trouble. If you know what I mean. And try to learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>